Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Ben lead to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio is going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Burr. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, here with you guys, as always, just a few days from the start of the Tar Heels 2023 season, just down the road from us here at our recording studios over there in Bank of America Stadium here in Charlotte. As we get you ready, we go to one of our favorite podcasts of the entire year. Each year... There are times where we look smart. There are times where we look like morons. And this is usually where both of those end up being true. Today, we're talking breakout players for the 2023 season. We're talking bold predictions for the 2023 season as we get you set. And alongside of me, as always, is another fellow smart but dumb human, Wow, Josh Marlowe. This is, um, well, we've had some, look, we've had some stinkers over the years. Uh, The breakout candidates is always a fun one to go back and look on. Um, Me and you both picked Deami Brown to be a breakout player. Yeah, Hit on that one pretty nicely. Yeah, you know. Uh, I believe both of us had Jeremiah Gimmel as a breakout player the year that he broke out. Huh, not bad. Um, some of our swings and misses have involved guys like Emery Simmons. Yeah. Um, which you picked him twice. Yep. And uh, my worst one by far is Christian Varner. 
along the defensive front. Yeah. Which has not worked out. Um, so, yeah, it's all it, 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 seriously, though, this one is always a lot of fun. I, I love doing this podcast because, you know, it, it shows, you know, we're, we're willing to take risks. I mean, that's the thing. We're, we're not wanting to make it easy on ourselves. We're not wanting to go back at the end of the year and, and say, hey, you know, we got everything right. I mean, we'd love to, but at the same time, sometimes it's, it is funny to look back and be like, how the hell did we think that player was going to be that great? Or how the hell did we think, uh, what was it? Was it last year? The Tarios will be a top 25 defense or something like that? Uh, speak for yourself. I never got that high. Uh, oh no! It was this was mine. It was something about our defense last year. I believe that was actually uh, what I said it would end up being. And uh, or no, maybe was it? If if it wasn't top twenty five, it was top fifty. Either way, yeah. My 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 swing and miss from last year was Ra Ra Dilworth being a breakout <laughs> that was player. Another one that I believe I said was going to garner all ACC. That was one of your on, bold predictions. You know, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I know one year Eugene Asante. I I said he was going to amass over like a hundred and fifteen tackles. Uh yes, and I don't even know if he registered half of that that year. He wasn't even a he wasn't even a starter the entire year. So some dude, some dude named Cedric Gray came in and started uh started for him. And I remember saying when Cedric Gray came in for him, oh boy, things could get a bit rough there. Yeah, things were looking pretty <laughs> gray on that side of the ball, if you would. And yet he's turned into a guy that uh, I mean we. Let's be honest, he could end up being a first-team All-American. That would be the Toriel's first first-team All-American honor at the linebacker position since Brian Simmons was on campus. By the way, uh, neither one of us picked Cedric Gray to ever be a breakout player. Nope. So we didn't get that run right. But we did pick Power Eccles last year. Uh, so, yeah, let's, let's get into it for this year. Uh, five guys that we think could potentially be breakout players. I would say we just kind of – toss this one back and forth. I mean, I know we do have some guys in common, um, but there are a few guys that are different. Um, I will – what do we got? We got two in common, and then the rest of the guys on the list are different for this year. So uh, I will be the gracious host, and I will let you go first. Yeah, no, the first guy that I have written down is John Copenhaver, a tight end uh, for the Tar Heels, a guy that was listed first on the depth chart for the opener against the Gamecocks. And, and I will I will read you what I wrote in our article, word for word. Boy, you are really getting lazy with uh, this podcast. Huh? After years of pleading for Phil Longo to utilize the tight end position more on his offense, the plea has been answered, and all it took was Phil Longo leaving for Wisconsin for UNC to get the most out of Damn. this room. Because this has been something really since year one of Phil Longo's stint as Carolina's OC. I said you got to get more out of those guys to, to get the most out of this offense. And and, and it made sense because you had talented running backs, talented wide receivers, to not get these dudes involved. But I think, you know, when you look at the shortcomings this, this unit had a year ago, if the tight end would have had a bigger presence, maybe things go differently. The The thing about it is if you thought we were talking about a breakout tight end guy, it'd probably be Bryson Nesbitt, a guy that we have – 
really just talked about at, at, at length about his, his skill set, his talent, a matchup problem that he is. He's third on the depth chart, and Freddie Kitchens hasn't been too uh, keen of his inability or uh, lacking of wanting to be a blocker. And John Copenhaver is a guy that I think has capitalized on this. And look, Copenhaver, there were games last year where he made timely catches for Carolina. Every catch that he made a year ago was pretty much a yeah, big play. It, it felt like you needed someone to make a play, and that was the guy that made it. And this is a guy that I think if he's going to be the true number one, there's already some chemistry there with him and Drake May. Um, and, and it, he just feels like a guy that's ready to break out. I think the the challenging thing is trying to determine what breaking out is. Is it north of 500 yards? I don't know. Breaking out could be. For, I mean, it's very possible. You know, breaking out for a tight end in this offense could be 400, 500 yards, and you know, maybe seven, eight touchdowns. I, 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 I had a problem, or I struggled with maybe trying to figure out. Okay, he's going to put up, you know, 65 catches, 550 yards, eight touchdowns. I I had a hard time getting a number. You only specify that for tackles for Eugene Asante. You so. know, but I, I do think this is a dude, for all intents and purposes, is, is ready to have his coming out party and be a big part of what Carolina does, both as a pass catcher and what he can do as a, as a, as a blocker in the run game. Yeah, I mean, look, that's the thing. You said, you know, Bryson Nesbitt could be a breakout guy. I mean, I I don't really No, I said that would have been the dude from this But I don't I don't room. think I don't think you could even really qualify him as a breakout guy. Cuz I mean, last year he had 507 yards receiving, now four touchdowns. So he's he's not in that 7-8 range where you're talking about. But I mean, that's for where this tight end room had been since Eric Ebron, that's pretty good. That that's the thing. Like I thought last year, I I thought they got a pretty good amount out of their tight ends. Um, now, this year, they may have to lean on them even heavier, depending on what happens with Tez Walker's situation. But I, I really, I mean, I I like the production that they got there a year ago. And if they could just continue to build on it a little bit, I, I, I feel like that's a room that can have a lot of success. And look, he's number one on my list, too. Um, you know, we I, I heard, you know, when talking to Michael Coe, you know, the first day of fall camp that Copenhaver was a guy that was running with the ones. Um, then when I was at ACC Media Days, um, you know, I, I was talking with Andrew Jones and, you know, he was telling me Copenhaver's the guy. That's the reason that he's here. That was actually before uh, fall camp began. So I got those uh, in reverse order, but uh, Andrew Jones, Atario Illustrated was talking to me and he told me Copenhaver, like th- there's a reason that they brought him here. This dude is considered the best player in that room. Freddie Kitchens loves him. Drake May loves him. Mac Brown loves him. This guy's doing everything that he needs to do. And it's because of what you said, the combination of what he can do as a blocker and what he can do catching the football that's what's going to be the difference for him this year. And I think it's, to me, it's hard to find another guy on this offense that will have a shot to have the type of breakout season that he will. There's other guys that are really good on the offensive side of the ball that I think could step up and have big years. But you're talking about a guy that's going to go from being a third-string tight end with the same dudes that are on the roster from a year ago. It's not mm-hmm. like anybody left. Yeah. And this dude's going to become 
the number one tight end and potentially put up huge numbers. I I, I think he I think he has a huge year. I'm with you. Copenhagen, my first guy. Yeah, no, I, I'm really excited to see this growth and production come out of this tight end room. And, you know, if if the, if he does what he, I think he's capable of doing, maybe it's going to make it, you know, make us forget about Phil Longo being the stubborn SOB he was as times as Carolina's play caller <laughs> and make us take more life. Well, another guy on this list that we both have can make us forget that a little bit too. Yeah, no, that that's very well uh, possible. My number two, dude, um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Oh, boy. We're going to the defensive side of the football. We're Whoa. Go- we're going to the secondary. Okay. If you've been with us for a while, if you go back to the last half of last year, you should know where I'm going because uh, I-, I raved about this dude all year long, that being cornerback uh, Marcus Allen. Some oh, say he's going to be the corner version of Marcus Allen, what the running back version was when he was a star at USC and went on to – Play at a really high level in the NFL. I don't think anybody's saying that. Well, you know, look. It's okay. I, I'm speaking things into the ether here. And, and look, this Feel is, free. Let him, man. <laughs> this is really dangerous because if, if Carolina's front four sucks, and that's very mm. much on the table here, there ain't nobody on this defense breaking out. As good as said Gray is, as good as Power Eccles is. Well, those guys have broken out. You, you I know, hate to break it to you, man. You can't put those guys on the list. Oh, they could go to another level. Oh, they yeah, could but definitely like, break out and become All-American type of dudes. But, but that's, they I, have I don't know. Help. I don't think that's what breakout. Breakout player to me always means somebody that's kind of was off the radar last year. We really didn't talk about that comes in and well, breaks like, out Well, the thing like year. with Carolina's linebackers is ACC people know them. National people don't know them because national What are you talking fans, about? They, mo- most of them have them ranked inside the top ten linebacker duos in the country. You know, national people just say, yep, North Carolina's defense sucks, so they don't have good players, which hasn't been 100% incorrect. When you look at Marcus Allen, though, this is a dude that, you know, you saw be willing to be physical at the point of attack, uh, showed the ability to fight off blocks and make plays in the run game, um, which you haven't seen in quite some time. He's got a long wingspan, so he can make plays down the field. I kind of liken him to what Des Lawrence was when he was uh, a, a corner at Carolina and a dude that really benefited from Gene Chizik becoming the defensive coordinator uh, when the team went 11-1 and in 2015 and reached the ACC championship game. And I'm not saying that Marcus Allen is going to be Des Lawrence, but I see a lot of similarities in the way that they play. And, you know, I this is one that I would love to see him have the ability to to really be in a position to be successful. Because um, I, I think the talent's there. I think the ability is there. But, you know, if, if, if Carolina can't stop the run, then teams are just going to run on them. And, you know, as as much as he can make plays in the run game, you know, your, your corner's never going to break out by, by being a run stopper. They're going to break out by making plays in the passing game. And so um, this this one might be my most bold breakout dude on my list just because there's a lot of just oh. question marks and concerns about the, the secondary and rightfully so going in Dang. to this year. But, I mean, I, I, I think if the front four does their job and, and allows Marcus Allen – to make plays, I think you'll see a guy that can be a a very good corner for Carolina for years to come. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad one. I went with the guy that's going to be starting opposite of him. I went with Elijah Huzzy. Um, 
the, the way that they have been talking about him in these press conferences. I mean, th- this dude's tearing it up. I mean, he's he's got Mac Brown said he has four interceptions already, and and keep in mind that's going against Drake May and the ones. So the fact that he has been as successful as he has against one of the best quarterbacks in the country, it. it it gives me reason to believe that he can have a huge season. Um, you know, Carolina, the, the the standard in that secondary, especially for the corners this year, is really not going to be incredibly high. Um, I mean, I know Tony Grimes' numbers really weren't that bad a year ago, uh, but he was inconsistent. That was the thing for him. Storm Duck let up a ton of yards in coverage on the outside. DeAndre Boykins in the nickel. Let up a ton of yards receiving. So, I mean, you're hoping that you can have a steadying force in there and someone that's just going to come in and be consistent week in and week out, even if they're not exactly a lockdown defender. I'm not saying that Elijah Huzzy's a guy that's going to have like a 38% completion rate against him. He'll allow, you know, less than 300 yards receiving or something like that. I don't, I, I don't know if he's going to be that good. But here's the thing. If he can create turnovers, which is what he did at the FCS level with East Tennessee State, then, look, you, there there are times where you can make up for not being a guy that is necessarily a lockdown cover corner. Um, I, I think that you know the staff identified him very early on. They really wanted him because he's an aggressive player. Um, and I, I think that's what this secondary needs, especially at, at those outside corner spots. I think he's going to have a pretty big year there. And I think also something that factors into me having him on this list is that he's going to be the punt returner for Carolina this year. And, you know, he had two years at the FCS level where he averaged double-digit yards per return. You know, the punt returning the last, uh, you know, couple of years with Josh Downs was was good, not great. I I'm I mean look, he, nobody is going to be Ryan Switzer, but I think this is a guy that could, you know, be effective enough to help, you know, set Carolina up with good field position from time to time, something that we didn't see a whole lot of these last couple of years. So, I I I think he brings so much value, not to mention the versatility that he has, can play the nickel spot as well, which could be huge if DeAndre Boykins has to miss some time early in the season because of the injury that he's dealing with. I think it could be a really, really big year for Elijah Huzzy. And I wouldn't be shocked at the end of the season if you know if he lives up to the expectations. If he's a all conference player, you know, probably like second or third team, but I, I could see him being there. Yeah, no, I think we'd all love to see it, like I've really said since he, he transferred in. I know the talent there and that exists. I'm waiting to see it on a power five level. Uh, and then I'll be bought in. My number three guy is, you know, kind of like, kind of like John Copenhaver. Maybe not a guy that I, I would have initially picked upon seeing the depth chart. Um, and my guy's Amar is 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 Amarian Hampton. Before the depth chart, I would have told you Elijah Green, because you know, in, in getting prepared for this article, you know, I had Green as maybe a, a guy getting over a thousand yards because the way he ran the ball the latter half of last year. I thought it with him emerging as the dude, um, he, he would be in store for a really big season. But instead, you see British Brooks listed as the starter with Hampton being 
the number two dude. And we saw Hampton last year have big games. You know, you look at, you know, it was App State and Georgia State where he had just big, timely runs. A and A and A. Oh, yeah. You know, really helped Carolina on the road win games that they needed to win um, and and the, and that were games that were closer than, than they, they rightfully should have been. And, you know, when you look at this running back room, it's as deep and as talented as, as I can ever remember it being in my time as a, as a Carolina fan. You know, you, you, I mean, even with British, British Brooks, a walk-on dude, like you've got like five legitimate dudes there that could go to other Power Five uh, programs in the country and not only play but contribute at a high level. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what Hampton's going to do. There's a lot when you watch him run. You know, you, you, you kind of get reminded of Elijah Hood and what Elijah Hood was in 2015 and – I'm not saying he's going to run for 1,300 yards and and be that type of guy, but I think I think you're looking at a guy that even with the the, the reps going to be split, I don't think 800 yards is out of the question here, and eight to ten touchdowns. Um, and if Carolina gets that, you you'll live with that because there was there was a time deep into the year where Drake May was your team's leading rusher, and there are some offenses you, where you, you want you you want to know something sad. He was your leading yes. rusher at the end of the year. Like, yes, look, there are some offenses that the quarterback is designed to be your leading rusher, not Phil Longo's offense. That that and, was, and yet, two consecutive years, your quarterback has been your leading rusher, and it's not a good thing. It's a reason why those teams did not. Or no, achieve. no, Ty Chandler let him in. What what am I talking about? But still, Sam was way up there. Yeah, it's a big reason why those teams did not achieve what they ultimately should have achieved with with the quarterback that they had. Um and, and look, I, I think that's something that the staff has been hell bent on, is not wanting Drake running because, you know, you you got lucky with as much as he ran and the hits that he 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 willingly took, and then the hits that you're just gonna take if you're gonna be a runner that he did not miss significant time, and so, um, I I think that's one thing that Chip Lindsey, this is a guy that wants to run the ball. Mac Brown has said that they want to run the ball more effectively. He basically just said without saying, "We wanted to run, or he, I wanted to run the ball more the last couple of years, but we didn't, and maybe that's the reason why Phil Longo went to go coordinate Wisconsin's offense is because they didn't see eye to eye on how they wanted to uh, put put together their game plan. But the talents there, the abilities there, if the offensive line gives this guy the holes that he needs to have to run through, I I I, I believe Amarian Hampton is in for." a breakout 2023 campaign. Uh, my third breakout player is uh, Amari Hampton. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it lined up perfectly. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of Drake running, like I don't think they're going to want to take that completely out of the offense. You always like to have a quarterback that's mobile, that has that ability. Um, but the thing was, at times last year, especially late in the year, it got to what we saw with, with Sam, where he was running because he had to run. He had no choice on design passing plays. That's what you want to avoid. And and here's the thing. You know, Sam, in his years there, all three years that he was there, he had good running. He had 1,000-yard he had backs every year that he was there. Although the 2019, Javante came up short, but he would have gotten there if he wouldn't have gotten banged up late in the year. Um, 
But, you know, the, the thing with Drake was last year, I mean, there was just no stability there. there. Now, a lot of that was due to injuries and everything like that. I thought Elijah Green was solid at the end of the year, but he definitely wasn't great. Early in the year, you saw the flashes from Hampton. Two of the first three games, Florida A&M and Georgia State, he runs for over 100 yards. You mentioned he had the big runs. Uh, I think it was Florida A&M, he had a big run. Uh, and then he broke, of course, I, I know for sure he broke all, one off against Georgia State. The App State one was Caleb Hood actually had that big run against them. Um, so, like, you, you saw the flashes from him. But once they got into conference season, he was a guy that started to look like a freshman at times. Um, I think another year in the system, I think learning from that freshman season, I think he's got the potential to take a huge step forward. When I watched him coming out of high school, you said you saw Elijah Hood, and I, and, and I think there, there are some elements of Hood to him. That might be a better comparison. When I watched him coming out of high school, I thought of, a, I thought of Javante Williams, the way that he runs. I think he's got a good mix of speed and power. He is not afraid to run through you, and that's that's the type of mindset that Carolina wants in between the tackles where uh, they need to be able to run the football. You can't just run everything on the edge, especially when you're not really running it that well on the edge. Carolina didn't do that a year ago. Uh, so you need guys that can win by running in between the tackles. I think, you know, another year of building in the weight room I think is going to help him out there. And then, you know, the other areas that you have to have as a running back. I think he's caught the ball pretty well out of the backfield last year. Wasn't the most effective guy uh, at the running back spot for Carolina catching the ball out of the backfield. But I think he can take another step there. The big area that we've heard from Mac Brown, we heard from Larry Porter, that he has improved that I think will be – the difference for him this year and will allow him to get on the field more and probably be this team's RB1 at some point is his ability to pass protect. Because, look, you could say whatever you want about the offensive line and how bad they were at the end of the year. You're 100% right. The offensive line this year, there's concerns about what that group is going to look like. The, one of the bigger, one of the biggest issues Carolina had, especially late last year, their running backs couldn't pass protect either. So you need to have better running back pass protection this year because you're pretty much running back the same offensive line. You just have Willie Lampkin that is playing right guard for you. Mm-hmm. It's the only difference. You don't have awesome Richards, so you lost your best offensive lineman. From a year ago, you're moving your right guard who struggled to pass protect at that spot a year ago over to left tackle, and you're bringing in a guy in Willie Lampkin that look, man. If you look at the grades, I I love. I mean, I love the prospects of what he could be. He's, I mean, he's five eleven. He's right around three hundred pounds. He, he's a guy that a lot of people think is undersized for the Power 5 level. So you're going to need help from your tight ends and from your running backs. I like the steps that we're hearing Amari and Hampton has taken this year, and I think he has a chance to have a breakout season. I think 800 yards, seven or eight touchdowns, that'd be a pretty damn good year for him. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, no, I think it'd be really hard to complain if, if that's the type of year that he has. Uh, my number four dude, a guy that was on the verge of really breaking out maybe last year if Josh Downs doesn't return, and that was Kobe Pesor, a guy that 
You know, once Carolina got him on the field, you just saw the talent and the ability to win one-on-one matchups, to, to be a, a, a mismatch nightmare. You know, started three games, led Carolina in receiving it all, all three of those, um, and, and was really – really helped Carolina's offense stay afloat while Josh Downs was sidelined. Part of this is that as of recording, Tez Walker is still hasn't been cleared to play. Um, and I think you need to start under coming to the, the understanding that he's probably not going to be on the football field this year, as ridiculous as, as that reality might be. Well, he might be on the football field at some point, but I, I would not be shocked at this point if the decision is not made this week. Maybe not even next week. Some, I wouldn't be shocked if this is a middle-of-the-year decision. So, you know, Carolina's got to have dudes that really become number one wide receivers. And, and look, I, 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 like Nate, I like Nate McCollum. I think you saw in the spring game that he, he kind of showed up and had a, a natural uh, connection with Drake May. Uh, I like Gavin Blackwell. I like J.J. Jones. I, I like the, the pieces in this room. But I, I think I think Kobe Pesor and, and what might be an offense that is more short to intermediate and not pushing the football down the field as much, which it might be a change of pace considering Drake May led the country in big-time throws last year according to Pro Football Focus. This is a dude that I think has just breakout written all over him. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not – I'm not willing to rule out a 60 to 75 catch season for him with north of a thousand yards. Um, I, I I think if if Tess Walker plays, I think maybe those numbers take a take a hit because Tess Walker would be the the number one wide receiver when he shows up on the field. If not, I like everything about this kid, um, and he showed it last year when he when he needed to step up, he was he he was able to. He's going to be a starter regardless. I I I, I think when it's all said and done. Not only will the ACC know about Kobe Pesor, but I think a lot of people around the country will know about uh, uh, about this wide receiver. So do you think if Tez Walker doesn't play, they play him on the outside I mean, a little I, bit to I, get him and McCollum on the field? I mean, I think you just move him around. You, you, well, because the thing is, like, if he's in the slot, I, I they're going to split a lot of the time between him and McCollum. Well, I, I really think that because McCollum – I mean, McCollum looked really, really good back in the spring. We didn't hear as much about him here in the fall, but I still think that they are going to want to use both of those guys a lot. Now, look, they may go a lot of four or five wide receiver sets to try to get both of those guys on the field in the slot. I think that's certainly possible. They've also talked about the fact that they want to use George Petaway a lot out of the slot as well. So, yeah, maybe they are going to find more sets for both of those guys on the field. I did. I, I'll say this: I do not have Kobe Pesor on my list, and maybe that's because, like, when I first, when I sat down and thought about my guys, like, I don't know. I, I maybe I I guess I just felt like Pesor broke out last year when we saw him. I mean, he led the team in receiving all three games that he started a year ago. Like this dude, I think. And maybe, maybe that's wrong of me, but this dude, I think, like most most Toriel fans, I think, know about him. But, you know, again, we're going to take kind of different um, mindsets towards what we think are breakout players. But I, I, I think you're right. Look, if Tez Walker doesn't play, um, you know, if, if especially if they can move him around and play him on the outside and sometimes move him inside of the slot, 
oh, this dude could easily be a thousand yard receiver. I I love everything about Kobe Pesor. I I think he's great. So, um, yeah, I think he could be poised for a big year. The other guy that I have, uh, the fourth guy that I have on my list, the other guy that I have from the defensive side of the ball, I I have Tayon Holloway. And maybe I'm buying too much into what the staff is saying in the offseason with these defensive backs. Because I told you I liked what they're saying about Elijah Huzzy. I mean, Tayon Holloway is one of the biggest camp stars that we have heard about from this staff since they've been here. He might he might be the biggest. I mean, you talk about a guy that last year nearly nobody was talking about. And I get it. He was coming off he he had he had shoulder surgery. I believe it was definitely upper body. Um he actually had two of them uh in his senior year of high school. So last year was pretty much just about rehab. But this staff is absolutely raving about what they've seen from him. His teammates have been talking about how good of a cover corner he is. And the fact that he was able to midway through fall camp establish himself as a part of the rotation at corner with a guy in Huzzy who the staff, as I said, really valued when they were bringing him in in the transfer portal. A guy like Marcus Allen, who I'm with you, I thought flashed a lot late last year. Um, and looks like he's poised to have a significant role for this team again this season, uh, which I, I hope as well. I I think Tayon Holloway, man, th- this could be one of those guys that coming into the year we're not talking a whole lot about. And look, do I think you know this is a guy that probably finishes as an all-conference player? No, I don't think that's that's probably where you see him. But do I think that he could be a guy that can play – three, 400 snaps for Carolina this year at the cornerback spot and really give them a legitimate rotation out there um, you know, to, to be able to bring in, bring him in whenever, you know, guys are struggling, if Marcus Allen's having an off game, if Elijah Huzzy's having an off game, do I think that he could, you know, potentially, especially early in the season, allow Carolina to move Elijah Huzzy into the nickel to sort of help out if DeAndre Boykins is out injured or if he's struggling, whatever. Yeah, I th- I think he he's capable of doing that. But again, it's it's a, a risk that, you know, I I think is is being taken here because he's a guy that we have not really seen a- at all on the field. I didn't play a single snap last year for Carolina. So, you know, as of as of this point, you know, it's really just a lot of speculation and and going off of what the staff said, but I think this guy has a chance to be a name that every Tar Heel fan knows by the end of the year, and I, I think he could play a significant role for this team at corner. My last guy, um, I went with the defensive line, and many years you've seen Desmond Evans show up in this type of list, and we we think he's going to show well, up and be great. Let me let me give you let me give you a hint. He ain't my number five either. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, Desmond Evans has been so bad, he makes you want to eat Bob Evans for breakfast. That's how bad he's been during his time at Carolina. God, is Bob Evans that bad? I mean, I didn't go to it for a long – it's been a while since we've had one here locally. You know, it's it's definitely behind the Waffle House, the Huddle House. Denny's. It's got to be behind Denny's. I love me some Denny's. Like, you know, so it's it's definitely fifth. I went went with Javari Ritzy, and maybe it's because he's got nice hair and – Where's number five? I don't know what it is, but I think this is a dude that being moved back into his natural position, 
Now he's listed behind Miles Murphy on the depth chart. That's not going to take long. Miles Murphy will remind the staff that he's not a starter. Well, the thing about him being listed behind Miles Murphy, and 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 Mac Brown said this in the press conference the other day. He said that him and Miles Murphy are completely different players. Why they say when why they play the same position? I don't really get that either. I Miles Murphy's big enough to play the nose tackle spot, so I don't know. I mean, maybe he's not a guy that they feel plays the run good enough, but. I'm not sure. I found that interesting because, and that's me backing up your point. I I think he's he's got to play a big role. Oh yeah, and I mean I I think he. There was times last year, like when Carolina's defense was formidable, it felt like he was on the field making plays. I think he gives Carolina a legitimate chance to be better at stopping the run, um, and that's something that you know this defense has to like it, it, mm-hmm. it has to do a better job of that this year, or it's going to be rinse, wash, and repeat from what we've seen the last decade or so. And, you know, this this is a dude that, you know, I put in the article, I think if he breaks out the way that I think he's capable of breaking out, if he were to earn some all-ACC honors, whether it was, you know, you know second, third, or just all, or, or just, you know, uh, a, a mention, I wouldn't rule that out because I, I, I think there's talent there. I think there's motivation to not suck. And be oh. a big reason why this defense takes. Let's a hope step everyone forward, has that. That this defense needs to take a step forward, and uh, you know, this was a dude last year. Like I, I can remember being in the stands at the Georgia Tech game, and yelling about him not being on the field because mm-hmm. I was completely puzzled as to why he he wasn't on the field. I don't think, I don't think they're going to be that stupid for a second straight year. Because I would it, hope it's, it's going to take them into the first drive to realize Miles Murphy ain't it. He ain't the same Miles Murphy that was at Clemson, and and, and so I think you're going to see increased snaps for Javari Ritzy, and I think that leads to increased production for him as well. Well, here's the thing: I don't think that you can rule out the possibility that Miles Murphy could have a bounce back year. I mean, look, two years ago the guy did have nine tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. So it's it's there for him. I don't know what the hell happened last year. You're talking about like nine tackles but, for loss. That's that's what? Like maybe a point seven five a game? Here's the here's the best part about that. That's though. not good. Oh, that's oh that's that's third team all conference type numbers for a lot of guys. Have you looked at a lot of the other players around yeah, this league? I, I mean, I think that speaks to the the, the lack of talent that that, that exists. If, I if, mean, if, dude, if are there nine, guys? Are there guys in the SEC that are so every team in the SEC has a guy that has at least? I mean, I mean, fourteen, fifteen and a half tackles if for you're loss. Telling me nine tackles for loss over a twelve. I'm not game saying is, it's mind blowing. Good, I would tell you, I need my guys to be more impactful. I, but the thing is, is again, he didn't play a ton of reps. I I don't think that the book is completely written on Miles Murphy. I think Miles Murphy could have a bounce back here. But here's my here's the point about that. Even if he is a guy that has a bounce back year, you got to play him and Ritzy together. Put put him at the nose. And again, I don't know if he they just don't feel like he's a good enough run defender. Whatever. Javari Ritzy is a damn good run defender. I thought that was his strength last year. And the numbers that you saw from him show that. He's he's a guy that has to improve in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback. But he's a I mean, he can win inside on on rundowns. And that's what you need. So he's got to be out there. To me, like, yeah, can, can we and and I don't want to slight the guy because I I don't think he's a horrible player. But I think he's he's better better 
slotted as a rotational guy. Kevin Hester cannot be starting on this team. No. For long. You got to have other guys that step up. And whether that's, look, if that's Tamari Fox, we've heard a lot of really good things about him, especially the way he's been rushing the passer and put him out there. But they, that that's the thing. They need to find guys up front. I, You know, again, with Ritzy, I don't know. In my mind, I guess I thought, you know, he kind of broke out last year. I mean, he, he was second on the team in quarterback hurries or quarterback pressures, rather, a year ago. The only guy that was ahead of him was Kamen Rucker. And he, I mean, he didn't play nearly the amount of snaps that some of these other guys did on that defensive front for Carolina. I mean, Kamen Rucker didn't really either, to be honest with you. So, um, I like it, dude. I've always been a fan of his. I really thought coming out of high school, this dude had a chance to be something special. I'm with you on your point. He has been playing out of position since he has gotten there. Carolina tries moving him all over the place. They've tried to play him at that power end spot. I just I don't think that's his strength is sealing the edge. I think he's a guy that can win inside on those rundowns. There's a reason that coming out, his comparison out of high school was Jeffrey Simmons, which I absolutely loved and thought that it was so, so apt for him. And I think that there, there's a chance that he could live up to that this year. My final breakout player this year I always like to do this. I always like to go with one that's a little bit of a long shot. And this one, this one is is really based on the notion that Tez Walker doesn't play. I still think this guy could have a little bit of an effect if he does play. But if he doesn't play, I think this dude could eventually become a, a, a starter along the way. And, and if not, at least a big part of what Carolina does I think the true freshman Christian Hamilton is the guy to keep an eye on. Um, when I saw the or next to J.J. Jones's name with Christian Hamilton on the first depth chart, and it's a first depth chart. I've seen a lot of people saying this. It's a first depth chart. You can't overreact to that. That tells me, though, that the staff has really liked what they've seen from him so far in the offseason. And we've talked about this. When it comes to true freshmen, your skill position guys are always the ones that are set up to have early success. Your offensive and defensive linemen, it's going to take them time to build. Like, we've seen it. I mean, look at the two five-star guys that Carolina got a couple of years ago in Travis Shaw and Zach Rice. Those are two guys that are buried on the depth chart, and people are panicking. They're, they're saying it's over with those guys. Um, but, I mean, we've seen it at receiver. Guys have made impacts early on. Um, you know, I, I like Chris Culliver a lot, too, but I think the fact that Christian Hamilton was able to get in there early and has really made an impression on this staff, I like his versatility as well, another guy that can play on the outside, he can play in the slot as well, he does a lot of really good things as a route runner, uh, has some nice speed over the top that uh, you know could come in handy for Carolina, I think that Christian Hamilton is one of those guys to keep an eye on because I think he has a chance to be a breakout star for Carolina at the wide receiver spot if Tez Walker uh, does not play this year. If not, I mean, look, he could still, you know, end up battling for reps. I I wouldn't be shocked. You know, J.J. Jones, I know he was a starter last year, um, but there were some inconsistencies from him. I I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility that J.J. Jones takes a step forward this year either, but I do think that it was really telling that Christian Hamilton 
uh, is considered, you know, a guy that's battling with him for a potential or to potentially be that starter on the outside if Tez Walker doesn't play. So uh, I think regardless, he could be a guy that could have a pretty nice impact and could be a breakout player that we're talking about at the end of the year. All right, so we've talked about our breakout players for this year. Now let's go to our bold predictions for the season. And some of these bold predictions, they they might involve some of our breakout players. Um, as you mentioned, a few years ago, you added Eugene Asante as one of your breakout players. And then one of your bold predictions was that the man had 115 total tackles. He came up just a little bit short of that. Um, so... When you, with your bold predictions for this year, I guess we'll go least bold to most bold. What have you got? Oh, crap. My least, my least bold prediction. Carolina sweeps their two rivals, Duke and NC State. Mm. Um, And... You know, that's that's finding itself back on here because Carolina's lost back-to-back years to NC State. Um, yeah, you could have really just put NC State on there. I mean, I'd, I know that Duke is an improved team. Duke, Do a lot of – they are. Do a lot of Tar Heel fans or really even, I think, the national media members, they have Carolina losing that game because it's at home? I, I don't think a lot do. I mean, I, I think it depends on where you fall on the Duke spectrum. Um, Duke, I think, is much better than they were a year ago, and they won nine games. Um, but they're probably looking at a regression to where if they go 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, you, you're probably calling this season a success. And especially if they win in Keenan Stadium – um, then, then, for, then for that program and for Mike Elko, I mean, dude, they'll build the dude a statue if that were to happen. So, I mean, really, it, it comes down to, to NC State, but, you know, you kind of loop them in both together because, mm-hmm. you know, this is what got Larry Fedora fired. Like, was Larry could not consistently beat Duke and NC State. He had a hard time doing it in the same year. And, you know, Carolina last year won a thriller in Durham um, in a great game between Drake May and Riley Leonard, Then they lost at home to end the regular season to a fourth-string quarterback at NC State. And, um, you, you know, that that was as, as frustrating a loss as I've watched in my 15-plus years watching this program. And I've seen a hand – you know, I've, 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 I've seen my fair share over the years – um and, and so I'll 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 go with that as my least bold prediction because my other two, the heat the heat really does turn up. Uh my least bold prediction is they beat Georgia Tech. No, I'm just kidding. That's not it. Uh it, is 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 that even a certainty at this point? Probably not. Please, for the love of God, can you just can can you beat can you beat that mid that that mid program, please? Um, no, my, my bold prediction is that they continue their streak of thousand yard receivers. Um, you know, since Mac Brown has gotten here four straight seasons, Carolina has had at least one thousand yard receiver. Now you look at this year's wide receiving core and you think, okay, they could spread the ball around. I think when Tez Walker, um, you know, was picked as a preseason all ACC member, a lot of people thought, okay, that's probably your guy that's going to be able to get to a thousand yards. I think Carolina's got two really good candidates to get to 1,000 yards. The problem, they both play in the slot. 
I think Kobe Pesor and, or Nate McCollum, I think either guy has the capability of being a thousand yard receiver for Carolina. Um, you know, I think again, it's it's the first depth chart, so this could change. I think Kobe Pesor right now is probably the guy out of the two that you would lean with because he is currently, you know, the guy that looks like he's going to get the start for Carolina in this game. But I think regardless of if Tez Walker is there or not, I think Carolina will have a 1,000-yard receiver this year in their offense because I think, you know, eventually Kobe Pesor's got the size. He played on the outside when he was in high school. I know that he has been working on becoming a technical route runner and that that attribute is something that is much better used in the slot. But we heard it last year from the staff. They wanted to do it a little bit with Josh Downs. They never did. Well, this year, if you want to get your three best receivers on the field, your three best receivers right now are Kobe Pesor, Nate McCollum, and Gavin Blackwell. I think they'll find a way to get them on the field. And that's why I think Gavin Blackwell... Uh, or Gavin Black. That's why I think uh, Kobe Pesor or Nate McCollum could end up being your thousand-yard receiver this year for Carolina. Which do you think better applies here, my my, mm. my Drake bold prediction or my Mac Brown bold prediction for least bold to most? Bold? I would say I would say both of these are. Pretty bold, but I'm not going to say that either one of these are like outlandish to the point where people will be like absolutely zero chance. I would say your Mac Brown is probably the least bold of the two. I, I think your Drake one's the boldest, probably. I think this is Mac Brown's last season as Carolina's head football coach. Whether it goes great and Carolina achieves all the things that we want them to achieve, which is maybe 10 wins in the regular season. Uh, a return to the ACC championship game and a second berth and a New Year's Six bowl appearance, or on the 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 off chance, and this is very much a possibility that this thing goes sideways, and he comes to his conclusion that he's not going to get them, I guess, quote unquote, over the hump. I'm going to look at it from a positive. Um, And and I'll go ahead and just do my last two because they kind of intertwine together. In a positive world where Carolina achieves all these great things and they they win double-digit regular season games and they make a return to the ACC title game and they compete much better than they did against Clemson a year ago and they go to a New Year's Six Bowl game, I think you're doing that on the back of Drake May winning this school, this program, their first Heisman Trophy. And look, Caleb Williams got off to a fantastic start defending his Heisman uh, last week in, in USC's Week Zero opener against uh, was it was it San Jose State that he threw four touchdowns against? Yes. Um, and, and look, there's no, like he, he's the most he's the most gifted player in the country. Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in the country, but there's a reason why you haven't seen a guy win back to back Heisman since the 1970s. It's a really difficult thing to do. Johnny Manziel didn't do it. Uh, Lamar Jackson didn't do it, you know, and those are guys that had modern, historic years. Tim Tebow, maybe the greatest quarterback of all time in college football, did not win back-to-back Heisman trophies. So it's a really difficult thing to do. And I think if Drake is is a big reason why Carolina 
is is playing meaningful football deep into November. And look, there's a there's a chance. I'm not saying it's going to happen. If Carolina wins Week One, they could go to Clemson undefeated. They could be ten and zero. Just the way the schedule falls, and that if you're beating South Carolina, you should be beating a lot of these teams that you're going to face along the way. If Carolina's in that position, even if they falter and they finish ten and two or ten and or eleven and one, and they lose in the ACC title game, they're going to do it because their quarterback plays at a high level. And so, if that happens, I think Matt Brown, a guy that you could definitely see, he looks a lot more relaxed this year. He looks a lot more happier this year. If he gets Carolina to that type of success, as much as he might want to say, I want to come back and 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 and, and try to take the next step, at that point, you achieved your ultimate goal, which was you came back, you made the program respectable, you you upgraded the facilities, you upgraded a lot of things in and outside of the program, and you made the job attractive again. I, I think for a guy that's older, that you know is is at some point going to spend some time to, to 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 spend with his wife and kids. You you see how much at peace Roy Williams is with his life, no longer coaching college basketball. I think there's a little part of Mac Brown that is ready for that day. I don't think his football journey would be over. I think with what's happened with Tez Walker, you could see this dude really lead the charge for the the sport to get a commissioner, maybe even become the the, the sports first commissioner. I don't know. But if Carolina has the type of year that they have in a positive way, I think he would look at it and say, I, I accomplished what I set out to and, and be willing to hand it off to the next guy. I mean, I, look, it is certainly possible at this point, considering he is 72 years old. You, you, I mean, you could do this every single year moving forward, and I don't think people would see it. The one thing that I question is who right now would he look at as the guy that's taking over the program moving forward? I mean, it's it, probably Gene Shizik. That's that's not his decision. As 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 great as he's been for Carolina, as much as an ambassador as he is for the program, this this isn't basketball where Coach Smith, Coach Williams, it was it was their hire to make. Mac Brown, I don't think, doesn't have that same type of pool. Um, I, I think he could be a great resource for Bubba Cunningham um, to to be in that room to avoid another Larry Fedora type of hire. No, Bubba didn't hire Larry Fedora, but y- y- you know, I I don't think you know he's retiring and giving his blessing on who's going to be the head coach because if if that were the case, maybe there was a greater chance that Garrett Riley doesn't end up in Clemson. Because maybe if, if he gets brought to Carolina, he gets you know he gets the the coach and waiting type of thing, and maybe Mac Brown does step down at the end of the year if he, he we have the type of year we want to have. So I, I I don't look at it from that standpoint. I I think you got to look at it from he did what he sought out to do, which was make a program that he wants built, make it respected again. I think it's very clear that Carolina is respected uh, uh, in the annals of college football, but when it comes to the next to hire. He's a, he's a resource. He's not the one that gets to to, 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 to to sign off and say, yep, that's the dude. Yeah, I don't I, – I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I don't know if that's how Bubba Cunningham sees it. I mean, I, I think Bubba's track record coming from Notre Dame, which is, you know, football heaven, I, I think he could, he could look at Mac and say, thank you. You can be involved, 
but this is going to be my hire because it's going to be his job on the line moving forward, not Mac Brown's. Yeah, I mean it's 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 certainly possible. Um, yeah, I mean that one. I mean, I yeah, that's that's somewhat bold for sure. I, I mean, I think it's 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 up there. Um, but to me, the Drake one is is more is more bold, just because we we know we know how the Heisman works. If your team is not in college football playoff contention all the way until the end, they will not name you the Heisman Trophy winner. It just won't happen. They don't. They want in in their ideal world. They want it to be somebody that's playing in the national championship game. That's what they would hope for. But you know, last year, I mean, Caleb Williams did get it done, so it's not impossible. I I think it's I think there is a chance. I think if you would have said that he makes it to New York, then it it probably is behind your bold prediction about Mac Brown. But I think the fact that you say that he wins it is probably why it's a little bit more bold. And I know people are going to say, well, didn't, weren't you the guy that said Sam Howell was going to win the Heisman back in 2021? Yes. And I probably should have realized at that time it didn't really matter how good of a year that team had. The other part of it was if you look at where that team was in the preseason, they were ranked 10th. This team is you know, barely scraping inside the top 25. I mean, they're 21st. Coaches poll, they're 20th. So, Carolina, I mean, they're getting some respect, but this isn't nearly the year. Like, he's going to have to win some games. And the thing is, you look at the schedule that Carolina has. As you said, there's a chance they could begin 10-0 and if they find a way to beat South Carolina. It's possible. I think there's definitely some some – games in there that they could slip up if they're not careful. The problem is, is is there anybody that you're going to play in that stretch that is going to be a ranked opponent? Maybe Pittsburgh? Yeah, maybe Pitt. If, if, if Duke maybe pulls an upset along the way, maybe they find themselves being ranked. But my thing is... Miami, Miami, when you play them, no, but Miami could play themselves into being ranked, so it could be a retroactive ranked opponent I think that, it's he, possible. that he could have played well. I mean, it's a valid argument. Like, his Heisman moment... May- who's, who's he, the, the thing is, like, you've got... Not only do you have to have Heisman moments. Look, you can have Heisman moments against lesser opponents. It's, it's possible. You, put a, you throw for 600 yards in a game, I don't care who you're playing. That's a Heisman moment. Where are the big wins going to come from? And that, that's the one thing that I think sucks for Drake. And that's how I think the Heisman Trophy presenters are going to look at it. Yeah, but, I mean, if you look back to as recently as last year, it didn't because Caleb Williams had his Heisman moment in a loss, and that was the, the run against Utah. Now, granted, he had a play against Notre Dame in the season finale that probably sealed the deal for him. But, like, you know, well, what he did uh, uh, against Utah, like, that was that was point blank. Yeah, that's the best player in the country in a game that USC lost, and it coincidentally knocked him out of the playoff. Like, if, if Carolina's 10-0, you go to Death Valley, you would imagine that game primetime, uh, uh, another game day game, and Drake balls out, but Carolina loses 34-31. I don't think that, 
kind of would 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 hold would would be a negative in his Heisman candidacy. The only way I think that happens is if you have a Georgia Tech type performance and you know like the thing that really sucked about that performance was that game got moved into a 5:15 time slot to give him a chance to play for Heisman voters. Like TV dictated that because there at the time Caleb Williams had not secured the Heisman trophy. And when Carolina was up 17 to nothing, you know, we're sitting there in the stadium thinking, man, he's really building his case. He's really looking like he could really have a chance to at least get to New York. The second half falls apart. I think if he puts up the same numbers he put up he put up last year and he, that Carolina doesn't falter the way that they did down the stretch and they win double-digit regular season games and return to a New Year's Six Bowl game, I mean, unless Caleb Williams goes nuclear, I, I I think it's more realistic that Drake May wins the Heisman than it did for Sam Howell two years ago. Yeah, I mean, the other thing with Sam, I'm trying to remember who else was really up near the top that year. I feel like Sam's, and now his his odds weren't better, but I don't feel like there were these world beaters. like, And I don't think there are this year either. But, I mean, you could see it already. They are trying to make... J.J. McCarthy, a Heisman candidate. They're trying to make Cade Klubnick a Heisman candidate. They're trying to make, you know, now it's Kyle McCord. We know that at Ohio State. We know Carson Beck's going to be the guy at Georgia. And they they literally are basically just penciling in Alabama quarterback up near the top. So, like, that's the – they want it to be one of those guys. They don't want it to be Drake May. So, they're going to look for any crack – that they can in the armor and say, okay, that's the thing that we're going to hold against them. I just I just don't know, man. Do I think he's going to be deserving at the end of the year to win the Heisman? Oh, I think that's definitely possible. But I just, there's a lot on Carolina's table. And I think you're right. If they don't reach double-digit wins, he ain't winning it. Yeah. So, we'll have to wait and see. Um, my other bold predictions for this year... I'm trying to figure out the order that I want to put these in. I, I'll I'll say I'll go with the defense first because I, I do think that Carolina has, you know, this this could happen. I think Carolina finishes top seventy five in each major defensive category. God, that's a bold prediction. Is that a, is that not bold? I mean, the fact that that's now like top seventy five is now bold just shows you how putrid this program. Oh, this 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 defensive. I mean, you're talking about last year their worst pass defense since John Bunning was the head coach, and that was in '03. So that wasn't even the last year or the last few years of John Bunning. Um, you're talking about a defensive line that had fourteen sacks a year ago in fourteen games that had one of the worst. Uh, you know, overall analytics, you know, you, you get into sack percentage, pressure percentage, run stop percentage in the middle. I mean, th- this was as bad of a defense as it really got for Carolina. I mean, it probably rivals. We weren't really, we weren't nearly as into the numbers back when Vic Coning was the defensive coordinator. And and we just absolutely hated everything about Vic Coning's defenses. I would be willing to guess it rivaled some of those numbers from what we, what year was that, 14? Before they brought Gene Chizik in. 
I just think second year under Gene Chizik, and I, I know, I know that you've you've gotten fired up about this, and you've told me many times that you don't believe it. I think there is too much talent, especially in that defensive front, for this team not this unit not to be better this year. If it's not, then there needs to be serious changes to the coaching staff, to the rooms in general. Like you've got to start start churning some of these guys out of there and finding new bodies to bring in that could that can produce. So I, I think, you know, you got that. I think they will be a better run defending team this year. You mentioned, you know, a guy like Javari Ritzy, who I think is is really good against the run. I'm hoping that they can find, you know, maybe a guy like Bo Atkinson that can be really solid against the run because I don't think that's Dez Evans' strength. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he finally does take that step this year. But, you know, a guy like Bo Atkinson, I think, is probably a guy that at that power end spot could fit that role a little bit better for you. I think the linebackers are really, really good. I think the safeties are going to be more willing to get up in the box and help out this year in run defense than they were a year ago because that's what Gene Chizik wants. I think there's such a focus on that. And I think, you know, in terms of the pass defense, you know, I like some of the new guys that they brought in. I like the fact that Kamen Rucker is going to be playing more uh, at the jack spot, which I think fits his body style a lot better. I think it fits, you know, the mindset that he plays with a lot better. So I think they'll get a little more pressure up front. I also think they'll scheme a little more pressure. And I also really like what Carolina, um, you know, has on the back end. I think there is a lot of potential there. Uh, it's just about right now getting all these guys healthy. And the thing is, I think there's enough guys in that room that if if guys don't produce, like, look, DeAndre Boykins gets off to a slow start to the year, sit his ass on the bench. It's that simple. You've got the depth. So play it. I I, I really think that there is reasons to be hopeful about this defense. And then, you know, my my second bold prediction for Carolina this year, or my third bold prediction for Carolina this year, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how bold it is. Maybe I didn't really go super bold on a lot of these, but I, I think John Copenhaver is a first-team all-conference player at the end of the year. I don't know how bold that is. I know there are some really, really good tight ends in the ACC, but I think this is a dude that could possibly, if if he has as big of a year as I think he could have, this this guy could be one that gets some consideration for All-American. Like, I really think this dude is that good. The things that I've heard about him from people around the program tell me that regardless of, you know, if he ends up as an all-conference player or not, he's going to be this team's best tight end this year. I think that he is... He, he, he's that caliber. I think there's a chance that, you know, if Tez Walker does not play, this could be the guy that, hey, midway through the year, we could probably look at him and see him leading the team in receiving. I don't think he probably ends up leading the team in receiving yards. I'm not going to say that he challenges Eric Ebron, but could I see this guy having 700 yards receiving and, you know, five, six touchdowns, maybe a little bit more than that, just depending on you know how they use Kamari Morales this year. Oh, I think that is certainly possible. 
So I think John Copenhaver, when it's all said and done, I think he's the best tight end in the ACC this year, and I think that'll be a huge boost for the Tar Heels. So there's a look at your breakout candidates and your bold predictions for this season. Guys, make sure you send yours in to us. We would love to hear uh, what you guys think this year. Who are some of those guys that you think break out? What are some of your bold predictions? I know some of you guys will probably uh, really get into it with those bold predictions. Do you think Carolina's going you know, back to Charlotte maybe? I don't know how bold that is considering that Drake May says that's the expectation. I mean, heck, do you think Carolina wins the ACC championship this year, something like that. Send those in to us uh, at Heel Tough Blog on both Twitter and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, you could also leave a comment on the podcast if you want to. We'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, so uh, for now, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast, guys. Make sure you head over to the website heeltoughblog.com. We got everything up there for you guys. The breakout players uh, article for this year, breakout candidates article up there uh, for you. And we also have uh, the bold predictions article that will be going up there for you. And then we are going to be getting you ready for the game against South Carolina. That article will go up uh, on the website as well. Uh, Meanwhile, other articles that are up there that are of importance. Carolina did lose a tight end for uh, this season. The true freshman Julian Randolph, uh, you know, again, not Hugely impactful for this year's team with all the depth that Carolina has there, but still uh, a little bit noteworthy, especially for the future of what that room could look like, losing a guy for an entire season. Uh, so uh, make sure you read that article about uh, the the injury issue that has cost him the rest of his freshman season. And then also we have an update on Stick Lane and DeAndre Boykins. Uh, Mac Brown did give that to us during his press conference the other day. Uh, so make sure that you guys check that out. And, of course, we'll be uh, updating you on anything else that comes out about the statuses of other injured players and, of course, Ted's Walker's situation if we do get any sort of clearance on that on the website leading up to the game. So, once again, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank Josh for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.